Hey, what's going on? It's Bill Byrne. It's time for the Monday Morning Podcast for Monday, April 25th, 2022. What's going on, everybody? How are you? Oh, Billy, hey, fever. I got a little bit of a cold here. Oh, Billy, too much fun. Oh, Billy, fucking uh, not sitting in the sun. So I'm in, uh, I'm in, uh, where the hell am I? Ah, shit, I hope this isn't fucking with my recording, incoming call here. I am in um, Columbus, Ohio, trying to fucking drink plenty of fluids here to get rid of my cold, and I'm watching the New Orleans Breakers versus the Tampa Bay Bandits, some USFL action. And I got to be honest with you, I'm still heartbroken all these years later, 40 years later, that the Boston Breakers left Boston to go down to New Orleans. They never appreciated them. Look at that, all the way down to the four-yard line. 37 seconds to go in the first quarter. I'm just saying this just in case somebody's actually taping this game. There's literally three people in the fucking crowd. This is decent football, though. I don't know what the problem is. Why people, well, I guess because the NBA playoffs are happening. I might have to get a New Orleans breaker to the end zone. Back shoulder. Touchdown. Oh, he dropped it. Oh, God. I was like the Yankees guys. It is far. It is deep. That ball is caught. What happened? <laughs> it wasn't even the back shoulder. Oh, we tried to one-hand it there. An NFL guy would have done that. I like watching these USFL games because everybody in this league does not want to be in this league. They're all right down to the announcers. Everybody's hoping that someone from the NFL is watching this shit. Touchdown breakers. Um, my God, there is literally, oh my God, there cannot be more than fucking 200 people at that game. That would be amazing. You got to go to these games, guys. If there's a fucking USFL game near you, you got to go. These are all fucking Division I players for the most part. I would think they just didn't get drafted or whatever. This is still like watching a college all-star game. Not Maybe not the top-tier one. You get to watch it with 200 other people? I mean, come on. Um, who's the, uh, the red-headed fella there who used to coach the uh, Dallas Cowboys? He's up in the booth. I was watching him. I'm like, this guy's doing a good job. Kind of has a funny way of holding the mic a little bit. But other than that, I think it's all right. You know, he's kind of holding the, uh, the mic like it's a wine glass. And I'm like, well, he was in Dallas for a while. You know Dallas. That's the Beverly Hills of, uh, of Texas. There's a two-point conversion for you. What in the fuck just happened? They went up six to nothing, and then they threw another one. Am I watching highlights here? What just happened there? Now, all of a sudden... Wow, what a great catch. All of a sudden, now they're up 14 to nothing. Is there a two-point conversion? You can go for another touchdown? Oh, these wacky other leagues. That can't be right. Um, maybe it was already 6 nothing. Hey, Bill, maybe 99% of people aren't watching the game right now. You should shut the fuck up. All right, well, you just missed a hell of a catch. That you, you, could, this, you could literally take everyone who's going to your wedding... Okay, and go to a USFL game, and there'd be more people at it than this. This is fucking amazing. Um, anyway, and I want to give a shout-out 
to a New York Yankee fan. I know New York, New York Yankee fans are taking a little bit of shit because a couple of knuckleheads out there in fucking right field. I saw this great video. I posted it on my Instagram stories for all you kids out there. Um, there was a New York Yankee fan at the game. He looked like he was by himself. He had a beer he had on his Yankees jacket. Um... And he had a hot dog, and he was dunking the hot dog into the beer and then eating it like, like a cop would dunk a donut into a coffee. Why not a fireman? I don't know. Because that's the stereotype. And I just saw that and was like, yeah, that's what you used to see at games. You used to just see, like, all of these, like, these sports fans doing weird shit like that. I remember the first time I went to Wrigley Field early 80s when Leon Durham was there, the great Bill Buckner. Still love that guy. Rest in peace, Bill Buckner. Um, I remember the guys behind us were drinking beers and this guy kept pouring salt, a little bit of salt into his beer. And my dad told me it was to take the head down or something. I don't know what the fuck it was. For. I'd never seen anybody do that. There was all these, and then all it was was just hot dogs, peanuts, and fucking booze. That was it. Great defensive play in the backfield. Um, is that Vaughn Miller's brother? Some guy named Miller. Um, yeah, and just to see that shit. Like, I, I got to be honest with you. I really, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine and was saying, like, you know, if I had the money, if I had the time, if I had the power and I had the woman, I would buy the Pittsburgh Pirates. I take him away from that awful ownership who really should be forced to sell. And um, I would take over that stadium. And not only would I try to make the team competitive, I would bring it back where you're not trying to attract people who aren't really even that into sports. You know? Oh, now I'm watching a commercial and the rock's in it for some movie. This looks like a good movie. You know, I saw, oh, Young Rock. I got to watch that. You know, I saw this fucking video of him and he was talking to these young kids. He's like going, you know, I love you guys. I'm proud of you guys. But none of you motherfuckers is going to outwork me. None of you. You hear me? None of you. Like, <laughs> and it just bothered me that no one in the crowd was like, eh, I'll fucking outwork you. <laughs> Nobody. They just sat there and took it. None of you motherfuckers is going to outwork me. It was really amazing. It was like, it was a motivational speech, and then he started giving them shit all at the same time. Um, but how are you going to argue with the guy? The guy's like fucking well into his 40s, and he's absolutely shredded. And you're sitting there in your 20s, you already got a fucking potato skins pooch hanging over your fucking junk. And you're like, well, you know, maybe he's right. Uh, thanks. <laughs> I want to do that. I want to be that motivational speaker that fucking goes around and inspires people. You know, it's like you do the dual thing. You inspire people while also subtly saying they're never going to be as good as you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to teach a stand-up comedy class and do that. Let me tell you something. I love you guys. You guys are all funny. And you all have a bright future ahead of you. But let me tell you something right now. None of you motherfuckers is going to lean on a mic stand the way I do. You hear me? None of you. Just be fucking staring at him as I'm leaning on the mic stand. Um, you will always open for me. 
You understand me? Um, <laughs> just fucking around. I love The Rock. I, not only do I love The Rock, I watch everything that he's in. Okay? And I'm old school. I can't say totally old school. If I was a really old school rock fan, I would have watched him when he was with the Hurricanes. But I actually, I've been watching him since the, uh, when he was wrestling. And I would still say, I mean, if anybody ever said, this is like sacrilegious. He's the only guy I ever saw that could fuck with Ric Flair on the mic. And just as a comedian, what I loved was he didn't rest on his catchphrases. He was always adding new stuff to what he was doing. Like, this, there was just, there hasn't been a guy like that before or since. How fucking amazing that guy is. I think, and I would say in the modern era, which I consider the late 90s because I'm an old guy, the modern era. I've yet to see somebody after him. All you young people, if there's somebody out there that you think is, is as good as The Rock, I want to see that guy because that fucking guy, you know. I remember at the beginning of the Super Bowl this year when he was like, finally, the Super Bowl has come back to Los Angeles. This female comedian I know texted me. She goes, did we really need that at the beginning of the game? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> we fucking absolutely did. It's one of my favorite intros to a fucking Super Bowl ever. What were we supposed to have? You know, one of those fucking goddamn whining rock bands now that talk, sing about their emotions. You know, I blame the whole Seattle rock scene on e like emo music on the Seattle scene. They, they just fucking... They came in and they just fucking changed it, whining about their fucking days. They couldn't just block their feelings the way the hair metal bands did, you know? I'll tell you right now, if you're not watching this USFL game, the Portland Breakers, I mean the New Orleans Breakers, are they the Portland? I don't even know where they're New Orleans. The New Orleans Breakers are, uh, they're putting on a clinic here on how to beat the Tampa Bay fucking uh, strip malls, whatever they're called, the Tampa Bay Bandits. Um, oh, look at that. Is that a female driver? Somebody just won a race in a pink car. I'm guessing that's a female driver. No, it's a guy. Maybe he lives an alternative lifestyle. He's with a woman. There's a lot going on there. You know, when you watch TV with the sound down, I mean, a lot of different things start happening. Look at the stars they put on the ball in USFL. I like it. You got to have, you know, when you have a new league, you got to have a different fucking, they don't have money for cups either. Look at the quarterback's junk hanging to the right. You got to have. <laughs> I mean, it was right in the middle of the screen, people. What do you want from me? Um, anyway, you got to have a different ball. Like the uh, the AFL did the way the ABA did. I think that that's that that right there is, is a good sign for investors that you could possibly be creating a league that will eventually merge. I don't know. There's probably too many goddamn teams at this point. I mean, the NFL has 32 franchises, but God knows they, they're always looking to add more. You know? Like, I'm wondering, do you ever think the NFL would ever get up to 40 teams? I mean, who would thought that they would ever add a game and play 17 games? Which, by the way, I fucking hate. I fucking hate 17 because now I got to rethink my whole, you know, when you try to predict, predict, what do you think they're going to do this year? Go fucking, you know, nine and seven, 10 and six. Now you got to be like, what do you think they're going to do this year? Nine and eight, 10 and seven. You got to ask yourself, 
Is 10 and 7 good enough to make the playoffs this year? It's just weird. They're weird numbers. Not a fan. Oh, Billy Grouchy Cakes doesn't like an extra game of NFL football as he sits here watching spring football. Look at the fucking, they got little stars on the front of him when somebody throws a spiral. It looks cool. Um, all right, I got I to gotta do a little vanity thing here. I'm not going to lie to you. Club Soda Kenny sent me video, center field camera of me throwing out the first pitch. I've probably watched it 78 times today. <laughs> um, it still hasn't worn off. It's the coolest thing I think I ever did. I still can't believe it. I talked about the pitcher mound, right? It's, I'm telling you, it's, it's fucking synthetic dirt. It's not even, it was like Illuminati level dirt. It was the cleanest dirt I've ever seen in my life. Like if you fell down on it, your clothes would be cleaner somehow. It was incredible. You know, Bull Durham, they always talked about how, you know, playing baseball, like every ball was, when you get to the show, how all you played with was like the new baseballs. Jesus Christ, look at that fucking coach. I don't know what he was looking at, but I don't, I don't think he's ever going to figure out whatever the hell he was trying to figure out. Oh, Christ, there's a sloppy play on third and goal. Now we got to settle for a field goal. Um, you know what's funny about this shit is you know there's somebody out there that has money on this game. What are you thinking? Huh? You think of taking the, the... I don't know. I like Tampa. I like Tampa and the points. Christ, they didn't show up just like the crowd. Um... Anyway, uh, so I've been doing my tour this week, and uh, I started off in Pittsburgh, which was absolutely incredible. And they blocked the fucking field goal. God damn it. Why do I care? I still love that I actually have some sort of a, like, like loyalty to the USFL breakers. I do, you know? That's the thing, man. Now, who the fuck had Campbell? The guy went right in and blocked the goddamn thing. The fuck's the field goal kicker looking at? So you think it's going to bounce back around? He's probably looking up to see if his girlfriend left, too. <laughs> goddamn, she left. This, this league's going under. Um, he's probably watching the replay. That's what he was doing. Um, anyway, so I started off in Pittsburgh, then went to Nashville, then up to Cleveland, and I'm in Columbus tonight. I'm recording this uh, Sunday afternoon. And uh, I want to thank everybody that has come out to the shows. It's been, these are, those are, as far as shows that I've done, um, I've never done shows this big back to back to back to back in my life. The amount of people coming out to see me, I'm not going to lie to you, is, uh, I'm not going to lie to you, kind of overwhelming, you know? And it wasn't until last night where I kind of like I was kind of freaking out the first two nights and I started like catastrophizing. You know, I'm like, what am I doing? This is too big. I don't want to do this. This is fucking stupid. Like, this is shit that you think about before you go out. <laughs> I'm just going like, you know, just fucking give me a twelve hundred seater. I'll just do my fucking shit. Everybody just fucking leave me alone. And then I remember thinking back to um way back in the day when I first started selling tickets um, which was in 2005 and I remember the first gig I did I had an HBO half hour came out and I was covering for Jim Norton on 
Opie uh, and Anthony show, right? So I had that going on, and then I had the half-hour special came out. And then all of a sudden, I went from, you know, basically selling hardly any tickets and people just kind of going to the comedy club because that's what you did. Like, hey, let's check out, see see who's down there. Maybe the guy's funny. Like, that's kind of the crowd that I had to all of a sudden... I played Rascals in New Jersey, and it was the first time I met Paul Verzi. New Jersey's own Paul Verzi. Um, and I went there, and, and the place was packed, and there was like this excitement. People wanted to see me, and I heard a few people yell my name, and I remember being in the green room, and I was freaking the fuck out because it was this whole new level of pressure where before the pressure was... Can I convince these people that I'm funny? And that's basically the pressure that you deal with as a comedian from day one as a comic. The first time you do your first open mic, you got to go up there and show the people that you're funny because obviously no one knows who you are and it's also an open mic, so they're expecting you to suck. So that was my whole career from 1992 until 2005. (laughs) So... I was really comfortable with the crowd sitting there thinking that. You know, who the fuck is this guy? This guy isn't funny. I was, that was my sort of, you know, comfort zone. And then uh, all of a sudden, yeah, I had those two things happen in my career. And um, all of a sudden there was a comedy club full of people that wanted to see me. And I felt for the first time in my life, the pressure of expectation. Where now it wasn't, hey, let's go down there and see who, you know, see if this guy, who the fuck this guy is or whatever. Now it was, we know who this person is and we expect him to be as funny as whatever the hell we already saw. So I remember being down there and like, you know, I was not comfortable with it. I wasn't comfortable with it that weekend. And I remember being at the Stress Factory in New Jersey. I did a couple of East Coast gigs because, you know, Opie and Anthony was strong there. And I was also like, you know, when you first do like a quick little half hour, I found like if you're from the Northeast, you get like the coasts. And maybe you can sell some tickets in like Chicago. You can kind of go out to like Cleveland or whatever. But a lot of that was because it was the ONA markets, true. So they were helping me sell a lot of tickets. And um, it took me like like three weekends, I think, before I was finally able to be like, okay, this is what you wanted. Okay, you're finally going to make some fucking money. Jesus Christ, after fucking seven, 13 years, finally going to make some fucking money. All right? You have the act. You're funny. You know what you're doing. Just relax and go up there and have fun. But it took me three week weekends to get that. And I feel like on this tour here, I kind of did that again. Where I was like in Pittsburgh. I was like, all right, here we go, Pittsburgh. Okay, these fucking, these are, this is, you know, big time sports fans. You know, everybody comes to Pittsburgh. Everybody loves Pittsburgh. They got big expectations. And it's just like, I've gone there a zillion times and had fucking great sets. And I don't know why. I just was like getting in my head because now all of a sudden I was performing at a level of venue that I had never performed for. And then, of course, I got out there, and the second I got out there, um, 
it was immediately fine, and I had a great show, and the fans were amazing. And um, I got to meet the great Hall of Famer, Franco Harris. Franco Harris was at my show. Can you believe? I'm going to say that again. Franco Harris and his, his lovely wife and his son, Doc, were all at my show. And, um, and it went great. And I got to meet, you know, Franco and his family after the show. It was insane, right? So I was just like, that, you know. I mean, I can't even tell you what that was like to meet that guy. I was just thinking of all the football cards I had and being excited every time, you know, I'd be opening the packs of cards with my siblings or whatever. And like some of you like, Franco Harris, you know, when you would get his football card. Um, what also was cool was uh, Randy and uh, Bill came, Bill Crawford came down, Randy Bauman and Bill Crawford came down from WDVE, which they were the reasons I ever sold even half a ticket in Pittsburgh because of those guys. They used to let me come in like on a Tuesday and just sit in on the show. God, I love doing that. It was fucking awesome, man. And um, they were also out at the show. So at the end of the show in the green room, I was talking to Franco and somebody, a Steeler fan, showed me the entire immaculate reception from a 50-yard line camera that has the whole thing. And he, without a doubt, caught the ball before it touched the ground. I mean, you can still argue, did it go off an offensive player first? Who the fuck knows? But, like, it always just seemed the way NFL films cut it that they were trying to do something underhanded because they were showing the play from that 50-yard line thing and then they would always cut to the close-up. But what it really was, now that I've done a little directing here, what was is they, they, did, they were set up to watch where, he, where Terry threw the ball, not where it was going to ricochet. So they didn't have the shot. So they were probably in close on where the ball was going to end up and then it ricocheted to the right out of frame. So then they had to go to the end zone shot and all that they had... From that was sort of a, a, a three-quarter shot on Franco, so you couldn't see the ground. You could never see if he, if he if it touched the, the turf or not. And I got to watch it <laughs> with Franco Harris. How fucking nuts is that? Um. Anyway, so then the next night I go down to Nashville, and um, yeah, I felt the same like feeling again. Like, what am I? This is too big. What am I doing? And blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and then I went out there and it went great again. And then like, um, you know, Nashville was a mind fuck because I remember I went to a Predators game their first or second season before they became like this big hockey town. And I remember like walking up to buy a ticket and I was hearing, you know, Nashville has all the great live music and everything, right? And I heard, like, this guy, he was, like, dressed like a cowboy in this, this little bar, and he was just singing. And he was singing, like, country music, and I'm walking past it to go buy a ticket to go see NHL hockey. Like, it didn't even make sense. And then I went in there by myself, as I went to most of those games back then. And uh, I remember uh, the puck went in the corner, and they just kicked a fucking field goal, okay? 
Tampa Bay did, and I swear to God, if I could rewind on my hotel TV, there is literally 11 people in the end zone. Um, you guys got to get out and support this league. It's a good fucking thing. More sports. More sports, less war. That's my hippie mantra. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so I went there, and the puck went in the corner, this Nashville Predators game. And I remember the lady behind me just is... One of the predators was going in to check the guys. She, she, you know, was cheering on, but didn't know what the right hockey terminology. She literally, she goes, puck goes in the corner. The predator's going in to hit the other guy, and he, she just yells out. She goes, squish him. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. And I remember thinking, like, ah, the NHL did it again. Trying to bring the game down south. When, how many times are they going to fail down here? How many times are they going to give Atlanta a fucking team and just realize this ain't going to work? And lo and behold, Nashville becomes this insane hockey town. And ever since then, I feel like the NHL has made great moves with where they put their teams. The Vegas Knights. I mean, the fans are crazy there. And I think the Seattle Kraken are going to be fucking huge, too. So anyway, last night I'm in Cleveland, and uh, I'm waiting to go on, and uh, Vanessa Fraction and Joe Bartnick are opening for me. And Joe, by the way, is, is taping his show tonight, his stand-up special with All Things Comedy at, what's it called, The Den or something like that, in Chicago. Old Freckles is going to be warming up the crowd Fucking around, trying out some new jokes, talking to the locals, getting everybody all amped up, you know? For Joe Bartnick's first stand-up special, I got to tell you, Vanessa went up and just absolutely fucking killed. And we've been playing a game while I've been on the road about, you know, you got to try out new shit. Got to try out one new bit during your set. And she didn't chicken out, and she did her new bit, and it went great. And then Bartnick went up there, and he's totally in, like, like beyond mid-season form. He's ready to like tape a special. He was up there like just, you know, one of the hardest I've ever seen him kill. Just fucking kill. And when he got off, he was so excited about how well he did, he forgot his beer, okay? And I'll tell you right now, you know Joe Barton is, is excited when he leaves, you know, a third of a Miller High Life sitting up on the stage. <laughs> so anyway, as they were up there killing... I was still having all of those feelings of doubt and all of that shit. And then, um, I don't know, I thought about that moment in my career when I was at Rascals and I was at the Stress Factory. I'm like, no, this is what you do when you get something bigger than what you're used to. Is you turn into little Billy Burr again who just wants to be alone so no one can hurt him and blah, 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 and pull your knees into your chest. Fucking relax. Go up there. It's going to be fine. These people want to see you have a good time. And I went up there and, like, had the best set, I think, of the three nights that I've done it. And I was like, okay, all right. And now tonight I'm all excited. I'm in Columbus, and I'm not feeling any of those feelings other than that I'm just going to go up and have a great time and fuck around and try out some new shit. So um, I don't know. I was telling you that story in case there's younger comedians listening because that's something that, uh, you know, what I just told you is not a unique thing. Like, that's what performers, I think, go through. I don't know. If you're wired like me, I should say. Some people are just, I mean, they're ready to play an arena the first 
the first night you meet him. Um, the first person that comes to mind with that would be Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart, when I met him, he was ready from day one. Day one, if you told him to go play an arena, he, he would go out there with his first five minutes with supreme confidence. <laughs> he, was just, he was just wired that way. So um, I was, as much as all that he's done, I, I don't think, I was, you know, I guess you're a little surprised when somebody you work with is all of a sudden starring in a movie, but I wasn't surprised that he could fucking handle it. I mean, um, he just, you know, I don't know, one of those rare people was just ready to go from the beginning. Anyway, let's talk about some other stuff. Your Boston Celtics, my Boston Celtics, are up three games to none over the Brooklyn Nets. And I got to tell you, I was worried about um, game three. Because, you know, we went up two games to none. And, you know, the cameras were on the Celtics fans, not the smart ones who go home. The drunk ones who hang out afterwards and get in the camera like, oh, and holding up four fingers like we're going to fucking sweep these guys. And I'm thinking, like, what are they doing? These are the same people that are heckling fucking uh, Kyrie Irving. What are you doing? You're just motivating these people. Just fucking go home. Don't say shit. You know, some people fucking watch sports so they're t- if their team wins that they can talk shit. I don't know why, but that's that is an unfortunate part of sports fandom. So anyway, um, I remember I was in a cigar bar afterward, like living my sports dream. Okay, I watched the end of the Red Sox game, even though we lost to the Blue Jays. We ended up taking two out of three from us, sons of bitches. And um, I was watching the end of the Red Sox game with the Celtics game on. And the Red Sox games ended and then they were promoting the Bruins versus the Penguins in Pittsburgh the next night that I was going to be in, which we lost to them too. But um, I was like, this is what I miss. I haven't experienced this since half my life ago. I left Boston when I was 27. I'm going to be 54. For half of my life, I have not lived. I've lived in hostile sports, uh, behind hostile sports lines. And I get fucking sick of it. So anyway, um, as I was watching promote the Bruins game, they cut to the after, you know, Celtics, the post-game interviews. And they were cut into highlights of it. And I, they show Jason Williams, and he's dressed like he just won a Grammy. And then they cut to Kevin Durant, and he has on just regular tracksuit with this red-knitted hat. And he looked like Marvin Gaye right before he went into the studio and was going to record what's going on. So I was just sitting there going like, um, we're looking like the Miami Hurricanes right now when they got off the plane wearing fatigues, thinking the whole shit was a foregone conclusion. So I was really nervous that Kevin Durant was going to have a big game and that, uh, you know, it was going to be all of a sudden two games to one. And, uh, and then we'd be looking at the next game of them being able to tie it right up. But fucking Celtics, Jesus Christ. I only was able to watch highlights. But my God, Jason Williams, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. I mean... Who, by the way, congratulations, won Defensive Player of the Year. Also hit a couple of big threes down the road. Um, or at least one that I saw. And, uh, you know, we are on a collision course, I'll tell you, with the Milwaukee Bucks. And everybody's going to see the matchup that ESPN is too afraid to talk about. All right. Did he just fucking catch that? 
That has got to be the greatest catch in front of 18 fucking people I've ever seen in my life. 316 to go in the third quarter. Number nine for your New Orleans Breakers goes up one-handed catch between two defenders. They kind of brought the other hand over. Wow, what a catch. People, want to, they're not going to go because of the uniforms. That was a big-time fucking catch. Anyway, there's a collision, a sports rivalry about ready to happen, and I don't know why ESPN is shying away from it, but every, all the real NBA fans know it's coming. All right? It is the rematch of Grayson Allen and Grant Williams. A little backstory for you. Back when Grayson Allen was on the Memphis Grizzlies, he was playing a summer league game against the Boston Celtics. And in the course of about 10 seconds, he committed two flagrant fouls against Grant Williams. All Grant did was just, you know, was it a pick? Screen, whatever the fuck you call it, from behind. Grayson didn't like it. Grayson showing no grace, didn't like it whatsoever, and just sort of swung at Grant Williams' head. He gets a flagrant foul. You got to watch it. I should post it because the announcers just rip him a new one. And then, uh, I don't know, like the where does they come out of that? Celtics go back down with the ball. Another screen. Grayson Allen doesn't like it. Grant Williams goes up for a fucking layup and he swung at his fucking head is what it looked like and he got himself ejected. Now, since then, <coughs> I think Grayson has stopped playing like that. I know today he had a big game with the Milwaukee Bucks and he's been doing great with the Bucks and he scores all kinds of points for him. I think he's changed his game. All right, but the question is, when he sees Grant Williams, will he revert back to who he was? Is that him? Is that who he is? Huh? Will people on ESPN be screaming about it? I'll tell you the show I want to see. Stephen A. Smith with Mad Dog Russo. I mean, all they need to add to that is like fucking Bruce Dickinson or Rob Halford. <laughs> and that will be the loudest show in the history of forget about sports, anything. Um, a couple of screamers, and that's coming from me. That is coming from me. Uh, another thing, when I was in Cleveland, I got to swing by one of my favorite comedy clubs in the country, uh, Hilarities. And, I, I, of course, I was coming down with the cold. My favorite club owner out there, Nick Costas. We got to hang out. So many memories. I hadn't been in there in like 10 years. And all of the memories, all of the friends that I met, all of the people that I've met, all of the times I hung out, all the sets, all the comics, all of this stuff came flooding back. And I had nothing but, um, just nothing but fond memories. And I swear to God, if I didn't have kids, you know, I would love to come through there one time and just do like a weekend, you know, when I, and when, next time I build in an hour, maybe do a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, but Nick was class as always. Unfortunately, I had to leave a little bit early because, uh, I wasn't feeling well, um, but anyways, I want to thank him and his staff and everybody else. And one of my best friends in the le- in, in the league, in the in comedy, Nate Craig was out there. Uh, it was just a great time. So anyway, let's with that. Let's do the uh, let's do the reads here for the week. Oh, 
Would you look who it is? Well, 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 would you look who it is? It's old Zip. Recruiter. Zip Recruiter, everybody. Uh, let's see here. You know, according to the latest research, 90% of employers plan to make enhancing the employee experience a top priority in 2022. After all, a happy workplace is key to attracting and keeping great employees. Oh, did they finally learn that treating their employees like shit wasn't a good idea? And if you need to add more employees to your team, there's always Zip. Uh, Their matching technology helps you find the right people for your roles fast. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Burr. Zip. ZipRecruiter. That's the new one. That's the, the 80s hair metal devil reading of Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter. Actually, no, I would have the pause. It would be like... Please? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uses its powerful technology. Piz is zip backwards. Uh, technology to find and match the right candidate up with your job. Then it proactively presents these candidates to you. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job, which encourages them to apply faster. No wonder Zip is the number one rated hiring site in the U.S. based on G2 ratings. Zip Zip Recruiter's technology is so effective that four to five employers who post on Zip Get a quality candidate within the first day. That's fine. That's right. Find the right employers for your workspace with ZipRecruiter. Try it for free at this exclusive web address. Zip. Dot uh, com slash Burr. Spell out Burr. B-U-R-R. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire. Uh, would you look who it is? Would you just look who it is? It's all movement. Uh, You know, in a tiny apartment in Southern California, two college dropouts teamed up to create a watch company that broke all the rules. Didn't just break some of the rules. It broke all the rules. With fair prices, unexpected colors. I didn't see that coming. And clean, original designs. Movement, pronounced movement. It's MVMT. Grew into one of the fastest growing watch brands, shipping to over 160 countries across the globe. Now, movement... MVMT has expanded into blue light glasses, minimalist jewelry, and more styles, essentials that don't break the bank, all designed out of their California headquarters. I have those blue light glasses for looking at computer screens. They're fantastic, unless you go on the road and you forget them like I did, like an idiot. But they're amazing. Uh, And y'all are now the first to know that Movement is having a huge site-wide sale for Mother's Day. Get your mom some blue glasses to go with their new watch. Their prices are slashed up to 40% off from April 25th to uh, 21st to May 6th to make sure you can get perfect the perfect gift for mom, from beautiful watches to fine 18-karat jewelry. Um, their platinum blue light glasses will not only make you look great, but filter 90% off of the most intense blue rays from your digital screen so you can scroll comfortably. Um, the perfect gifts for family and friends. Shop up to 40% off for Mother's Day and save big on the perfect gift for mom. Join the movement by going to MVMT. That's Michael, Victor, Michael, Tango.com slash Burr now and enjoy up to 40% off. Again, that's MVMT.com slash Burr. All right. Well, hang on a second. 
And we're back. Sorry. Old Sneezy here had to blow his fucking nose. Um, all right, so here we go. All right, the first letter from the fans here. Yankee fans, the Yankee fans are trash. Now, come on. They had one incident. It's people in the bleachers. Everybody's fans that are in the bleachers are a bunch of fucking animals. All right, hey, Bill, I don't even really hate the Yankees because I'm a pirate fan. Yeah, and you also fucking, you guys beat them in like 1960 or 61, right? Bill Mazeroski. Uh, but they're just the all-time classless fans of all time. Uh, I'm sure you saw them trashing their own field. Well, they weren't trashing their own field. They were throwing shit at people from the other team. I'm from outside of Pittsburgh, and there's a lot of moron fans around here. But they're not entitled morons, and that's a key difference. Find a worse fan base in baseball. You can't. Oh, come on. People have done way worse than that. And so have Yankee fans. In the late 70s, somebody threw a fucking knife from the upper deck. (laughs) And it grazed the forearm of somebody on the other team when they were congratulating each other for winning. Um... And back then, everybody didn't have a cell phone camera, so the person didn't get caught. I wonder what that person went on to do. You know, just in a fit of anger, they threw it, and then as it was going, it's like, oh, fuck, is that going to hit somebody? Got to go, got to go. Yeah, it was definitely unfortunate what they did, and it was great to see you know Aaron Judge and those guys go out there and tell everybody to stop acting like fucking idiots. But, like, you know, no, Yankee fans... There's some loud morons. They sit out in right field and do all that stupid stuff. That part is stupid. But if you mean like, you know, a Yankee fan that knows the game, um, they're great. I don't have a problem with them. I I really don't. Like, I like listening to, like, my big thing is if, if a Yankee fan can talk about the Yankees in the 80s, then I'll listen to them, you know, or now talk about them over the, like, the last 10 years. Um, you know, I've met some, you know, every fan base has their good fans and their, their bad fans. All right. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here as a Boston fan and start talking about behavior, considering some of the shit that we've done. Uh, it was an unfortunate incident and you shouldn't fucking paint everybody, you know. And I think a lot of the shit that they're going to get is because they have all that money in 27 championships. But having said that, those people out in right field are, they're, they're kind of, they're fucking nerds. I always thought they were just nerds with their chants and all of that stuff. It was really uh, sort of Rocky Horror Picture. It was a very Broadway musical, I thought, what they were, like the sports version of it. Um, anyway, uh, survival kicks in. Dear Billy Bloodbath, I've been thinking a lot lately about how much better we perform when our life depends on it. Everything from a mother's adrenaline allowing her to lift heavy shift. It's funny. You said light, uh, allowing her to life heavy shit. And I was trying to fix what you wrote, and I took the F out of that and put it on the other thing. Shift. To lift heavy shit to save her kid. To when soldiers or emergency workers take their skills to the next level in the heat of combat. Yeah, you get like that. You get that tunnel vision. Um, 
Or like when I went out to throw out that first pitch. You know, I'm kidding, but not really. Uh, which leads to my question. If you had to fly a helicopter through a canyon at high speeds and significant turns, would you be able to? We're not talking heavy rocket fire, but let's say someone's on your tail and there's some ground-to-air artillery. No time to think, just time to act. Talk to me. What do you think? Well, I mean, I wouldn't have a choice. I would have to. I'm not saying that I wouldn't fuck up, but um, no, I think I could do it. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't do it in the helicopter that I fly. I would fly it at the highest speed it could fly. Uh, No, I think I could do it. I could fucking haul ass. My thing would be trying to look around every corner um, in case there was wires or all of a sudden, you know, if I was flying into one of those dead-end canyons. So then what you have to do is uh, what's known as a quick stop in a helicopter, something you cannot do in an airplane. And that's why flying that low in unfamiliar canyons is so much more dangerous in a plane than it is in a helicopter. With a helicopter, you got to obviously look out for wires. Um, I mean, I guess you do in your plane too, but like if I was to suddenly make a turn and I saw the canyon was a dead end, I could just do a quick stop where a airplane has to, you know, do like a U-turn. So I know when, like when they're in an unfamiliar area and they're flying low, like, I watched this horrible video of these people that died. They landed in Aspen. They were on their way across country uh, to refuel and all of that, and it was a hot day, so density altitude was a lot higher, meaning the air was a lot thinner than it usually is at that altitude, causing you to not um, get the normal performance that you would at that. Your, your, your aircraft is performing at that altitude, like it's at a much higher altitude, which causes you to have to, you know, be concerned about the weight and all of that stuff that you have and versus the distance you have to climb out of there. And these guys were unfamiliar and they went down a canyon that uh, they were unfamiliar with and they couldn't get the altitude they needed. And I learned by watching that... Um, they just showed something on Carlton Fisk. He didn't pass away, did he? Why would that be show, showing that here? Um, they were showing, uh, they were talking about how, as a pilot, the safe way to fly something like that, if you're not com- familiar, is you, you fly to one side of the canyon or the valley or whatever. You're on one side, so if you do have to bank around, you don't have to eat up any more distance by getting to one side of it so you can make the turn. You can immediately just enter the turn. And these guys didn't do that, and then they tried to do it, and they just went into the fucking trees. It's, it's, it's horrible. Hang on a second. Please tell me Colin Fist didn't fucking pass away. Please tell me that's just... It's his birthday or something. Carl... Fisk. They just, for some reason, just showed him in the middle of a USFL football game. Uh, okay, he's still alive. All right, good. Jesus Christ. Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you guys, too. I, I'm watching a fucking USFL game. And all of a sudden, they were showing him on the Red Sox and the White Sox and saying how many years he played and all of that, right? He's okay. Wikipedia, he's still alive. All right, Pudge. The great Pudge Fisk.
Um, all right. Now that I scared the shit out of you, let's... Uh... So anyways, going back to that, what do I think? Would I be able to do it? Um, I would absolutely be able to fly way beyond anything I've ever done on my own skill level. Would I be able to shake the pilot behind me? Probably not, because I think everybody is pretty much a better pilot and has more hours than me. You know, I only have like 300-something, although I should be over 400, but I'm not allowed to fly until I get the first edit of this movie done. So um, that's where I'm at. All right, Made in America. Oh, this is my favorite thing. By the way, I'm getting my mother-in-law one of those U-turn turntables. Uh, that's made in America in Massachusetts. Uh, made in America amps. Hey guys, Headstrong is a one-man operation. Has been hand-building tube guitar amps for 19 years in the U.S. Andrew Themelis, are you listening? Just like they were done in the 1950s with no circuit boards or integrated circuit chips. It's called Headstrong. Come on, all you dad rockers out there who are making a decent living because you don't play in a band, you know you're going to get one of these. All hand-wired using cloth-covered wire. Handmade vintage spec transformers, U.S.-made solid pine cabinets, and handmade speakers, just like the old Fender amps from the golden era of American craftsmanship and tone. All here in a tiny little shop in the mountains on western North Carolina. Wait a minute. I think I got one of these from this guy. I know this guy. Yeah, headstrong. I have a fucking amp, and I still stink, but oh, I sound great when I stink. Um, 21.3 at halftime, by the way. Um, American-made vibrator company. Okay, here we go. I mean, you know, it takes all kinds. Everybody's got this. There's plenty of voids to be filled here in America. Dear Billy Ginger Balls Burr, re-manufacturing in USA. What does re stand for? Is that replying? I have no idea. Okay, I'm an engineer at the Cleveland Vibrator Company in Cleveland, Ohio. I love my job because I design and test vibrators every day. I enjoy it, but it's hard work. Get it? Sometimes I'm sore at the end of the day and need a stiff one. Get your mind out of the gutter. It's not that kind of vibrator. That's what I thought. Uh, We make industrial vibrators for transportation and processing of bulk materials ranging from animal feed to iron ore, cement to plastic pellets, fasteners to fun dip. Well, what does the vibrator do? It shakes everything inside the, the thing so it settles and you can put more in the, in the container? I don't even know what you do here. Think of that show, How It's Made. One out of three segments will have a vibrator in it as part of the production process. Oh, my wife loves telling people where I work and says that I'm a professional vibrator tester. She's not wrong. I wear shirts and hats with our company logo out and about, and we have a lot of fun with reactions. Um... Uh, Hate the show. Never listening again. Can't wait to see you in Cleveland, April 23rd. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't even know what, I don't know what that is. Let me just, I'm going to look that up. Cleveland Vibrator Company. Oh, Jesus. I can't do that next to Carlton Fist's name. I got to delete him first here. Cleveland. Come on, you fucking cunt. Vibrator Company. Let's see. Images. 
Cleveland Vibrator Company. All right, I have no idea what it does. It vibrates something, but not your clitoris. Your clitoris. Um, all right, well, that's awesome. All right, said the wrong thing. All right, hi, Mr. Burr. I'm a big fan of your comedy and your acting. Thank you. I was out for dinner with my girlfriend, and she invited her friend who I've never met. She was nice and everything was going well, but I might have fucked up. At some point in the night, she mentions that she is now demisexual and explains, thank you that you're going to explain this, that it means that she only has sex with people she has a real connection with. Well, there you go. I said, so I guess you're, I guess you're just not a whore anymore. (laughs) He said, I just went quiet and she seemed offended. Was I wrong? Comedically, no. Comedically, that was fucking hilarious. Um, And on the date, I don't know. I mean, if you were trying to see if she had a sense of humor, I have to be honest with you. My wife, if I said that to her on a first date, she would have laughed, I think. I don't know. It all depends because this is the thing. She might have been a whore before or what society calls a whore. And uh, she might have figured out the reasons that she was doing it was she had issues about something. And now, you know, she wants to turn over this new leaf. So she's trying to be this new thing and you kind of shit all over it. So um, I don't know. I got to be I mean, I got to give you props. It's a bold statement to make on a first date. Um, But, you know, you might have hurt her feelings, but she also saw the kind of sense of humor you had. So. As far as in the realm of how much you could have hurt her, what if you didn't make that joke and then she dated you and fell in love with you and then she found out you were this level of an asshole, you would have hurt her much more. So, yeah, you... I mean, how did you know she wasn't going to like the joke? But at the end of the day, in a lot of ways, she sort of ripped the Band-Aid off if she just immediately saw what an asshole you were. Now, here's the thing. If you guys are going out again, I would definitely apologize. And just be like, uh, you know, I shouldn't have said that shit. I was just making a joke. But just to let you know, that's how I joke. Uh, by the way, what is the purpose of knee pads in football anymore? The guy's pants are always like yanked up above their fucking knees. And then they have the knee pad like sitting where their thigh is. Um, why wouldn't you have it on your knee? It's a knee pad. Um, all right. Well, there we go. So I got Columbus tonight. Tomorrow, I'm going to be in Chicago. My kind of town, Chicago, is traffic 24-7. Chicago is a fucking beautiful city this time of year. No more cold wind blowing off Lake Michigan. I'm excited to be there. And I'm very excited for my great friend Joe Bartnick, I think he's absolutely going to kill it. And knowing that he's absolutely going to kill it and then start headlining around the com- country, I know I'm going to lose him as an opener. But the upside is, uh, you know, he'll be headlining, which is what I want. And then also I get to try out some new peoples. To new peoples, see? This is what happens to all my openers. They all eventually end up headlining. 
because I don't bring cupcakes out on the road. That's just how it is. I go out on the road and I bring people that I believe in. And I believe in Joe Bartnick, and that's why I'm doing the 10 minutes in front of his show um, tomorrow night at the Den. So come on out. I don't know if there's any tickets left. You can check. Uh, it's a small, you know, three, 400 seat or whatever, but it's going to be an absolute fucking blast, and I'm so proud of him. That's it. Okay, that's the podcast. Go fuck yourselves, and I will check in on you on Thursday.